Welcome to the second episode of the Circular Planet podcast. This episode will get into the first pillar of the circular economy, designing out waste and pollution. Before we get started, let me briefly recap the introductory episode, in which we explored the linear growth model, in which excessive production comes at the cost of depleting the environment and contributing to climate change, and how a continuation of this model will have drastic effects on humans and the planet which is why we must adopt sustainable practices to minimize these effects. All right, this brings us to the topic of our second episode, designing out waste and pollution. In this episode, we will get a better understanding of why the design of systems and products is a critical aspect of the circular economy. We have a lot to unpack, so let's get to it. All right, so since this episode is about design, let's first ask ourselves what design is. Everything we use has been designed, from the clothes we wear, to the cars we drive, to the buildings we live and learn in, to the computers and phones we use every day. Design is a process of creating things with purpose in mind, namely to benefit or provide convenience to a consumer. When something is designed, a lot of critical decisions are made that determine how an item will be manufactured, how it will be used, and what will happen to it once the person who owns it no longer needs or wants it. Waste and pollution are not mere coincidences. Rather, they are carelessly embedded into the design process. Since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, almost all the products that we use have been designed to fit the linear model, where life cycles of individual products are short, so that it is more convenient for consumers to simply buy a new item, instead of putting in a bit of effort to salvage the item. It is also more convenient, and mostly cheaper, for companies to simply extract more resources and produce more goods than it is for them to recycle those goods. As we touched on in the last episode, marketers make the products they are selling seem desirable, and designers often design these products to be easily disposable. It is unfortunately safe to say that both the design of products themselves and the way they are marketed to us has played a critical role in encouraging consumerism by contributing to over-extraction of resources, overproduction and overconsumption. With this mindset, many companies design their products often without regard for the environment. Yet, it is very difficult to go back and undo the effects of those design decisions if they result in undesirable consequences. As consumers, we may think that it is great that companies are designing products to benefit us, but we should also look at the wider picture. We should consider the implications that the design of a product has on different systems, one of which is our environment. average life cycle, smartphones have become particularly symbolic of our wasteful culture. Roughly 40% of people globally owned a smartphone in 2018, and that number continues to grow rapidly with more than 1 billion devices sold each year. And as smartphone sales have skyrocketed over the past decade, so has the amount of waste and the carbon footprint of the electronic device industry. Electronic, or e-waste, is the world's fastest-growing waste stream, with 50 million tons of e-waste produced per year, which is both highly polluting and highly wasteful, with millions of tons of valuable raw materials that are used in electronic products left sitting in landfills. When discussing a product's entire life cycle, the term cradle-to-grave is often used. In our phone example, it starts with raw materials used to make each part of the phone, and ends with its ultimate disposal. 
The true cradle-to-grave process of a smartphone is very complicated, because the phone is not the only thing that must be created to sell the phone. Okay, that might sound a bit weird, but what this looks like is that your phone comes in a box, wrapped in plastic. The materials to make the phone and its packaging were probably extracted and refined in places all over the world, requiring a lot of energy. And then, the individual parts of the phone were probably made in different places around the world in factories, emitting greenhouse gases. And then, these parts have to be shipped and brought together to assemble the final phone. And then, the phones are distributed to different stores around the world. And lastly, of course, each of the parts of the phone are discarded somewhere. Of course, this global supply chain, even for just one product, is very complicated. So let's just focus on the key points. A smartphone is made from a variety of metals, with the most prevalent being aluminum alloys, which are lightweight materials commonly found on the outer part of the phone. Lithium, cobalt, and carbon graphite are used to make the batteries. Elements like gold, copper, and silver are used in the wiring of the phone. And smartphones also require rare earth metals like yttrium. Of course, these precious materials must be extracted from the earth in large quantities to meet the demand of the cell phone craze. At this infant stage, the phone already uses 90% of its lifetime energy consumption. Many of these elements are projected to become scarce in the next 100 years. And yet, recycling rates across the electronics sector stood at only 17% in 2019, meaning that a vast majority of those precious materials are simply sitting in landfills. In fact, it was estimated that there is over $50 billion worth of precious metals, like gold, silver, and yttrium, sitting in landfills, unused. This means that we continue to dig into the earth to get more of these materials, even though they are quite literally right in front of us. This example highlights the key design flaw that stems from the linear economy. That inconsiderate product design leads to poor system design. The product here is the cell phone and all of its precious materials that end up in the landfill, contributing to all the negative effects of landfills that we previously discussed, like leaching harmful substances and greenhouse gas emissions. The systematic design flaw here is that there is no widespread way to reuse these materials. It may seem expensive at first, after all, recycling and disassembling a phone is not a simple process. But with these precious materials running out, it'd be more sustainable and less expensive in the long run to utilize the materials we already have or to simply rethink the design of a cell phone to last longer than just two years. Sometimes we may overlook these systematic design flaws, which is what the circular economy envisions to transform. More on that in just a bit. growing rapidly around the world, smartphones have the potential to power economies and improve lives without damaging the earth, but only if we reconsider their design and life cycle. So, how do you design products for a sustainable future? Well, in the circular economy, designers are challenged to think beyond just the users of their product and consider how the design of the product will impact the entire system within which the product will exist. In more simple terms, a good designer not only designs a product that will be beneficial to a user, but also considers the processes and impacts of the product before and after the product is used, in the production and end-of-life phases. But what exactly is this system? Well, it actually goes back to the three pillars of sustainability. 
Remember that sustainability means meeting our own needs without compromising the ability of future generations to meet theirs. These pillars were environmental, social, and economic. A product should be designed with them in mind. In our introductory episode, we went into more detail about the environmental pillar. The key points of the environmental pillar are that we must responsibly extract natural resources and not emit a high level of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere and ensure that items do not end up polluting the landfill or an ocean. But in a systematic design approach, we should also point out that there are two equally important pillars. The social pillar is basically about providing a better quality of life for society at large. The economic pillar ties together the environmental and social pillars. It pushes for a fair distribution and effective allocation of resources. And obviously the point of this for businesses is to turn a profit. And the nice thing about taking a total approach to sustainability, focusing on the social and environmental pillars, is that it often results in profitability. Alright, so let's get back to how product design in a circular economy feeds into these three pillars. The overarching goal of design in a circular economy is creating long-lasting products that are easy to reuse and or recycle. Such products are called closed-loop products, meaning that the product itself, or rather the materials it is made of, don't become useless waste, like all of that precious gold sitting in landfills. Product design largely determines the longevity, repairability, recyclability, and how much of recycled and renewable material will be used to make the product, and its suitability for refurbishment or remanufacturing. In fact, over 80% of a product's environmental impact is determined at the design stage. So, it is safe to say that the design determines the circularity potential of a product. smartphones. But this time, let's look at approaches for an actual smartphone, one that employs the principles of the circular economy. You may be thinking, but what if I just kept my smartphone in my drawer instead of throwing it away? Well, yes, you wouldn't be throwing it away, but this highlights another key point about the circular economy. This material is being left unused, which basically makes the materials it is made of worthless. More on this in our next episode. As I said before, 90% of a smartphone's lifetime emissions come from the production phase, which means that the more often phones are replaced, the higher the environmental impact. Fairphone, a tech company from the Netherlands, is fighting this market trend to create phones that follow the principles of the circular economy, and it all starts with design. Fairphone embraces the three pillars of sustainability. Their goal is to have a positive social and environmental impact from the beginning to the end of their phone's life cycle. And while of course, being a business, it means that they turn a profit in doing this. They are transparent about the fairly sourced and recycled materials they use, namely precious metals that use fair and recycled materials in the production of their smartphones. Their phones are built to last thanks to their modular, upgradable design. Replacing a broken screen or an old battery can be done in minutes. Would you buy a phone like this? Turns out that modular design can be a key design strategy for the circular economy, and is especially applicable in smartphones. But before we dive deeper into modular design, we should understand the importance of selecting the right materials to design a closed-loop product. Not all materials are fit for a circular economy. Some contain chemicals that are hazardous to humans and the environment. For example, 
Chemical additives are added to cotton clothing to make it softer and stretchier. But like I touched on earlier, a good designer must consider the effects of these additives, not just while the person wears the clothing, but the negative effects like the chemicals contaminating waterways during the production stage at a factory and in the disposal phase. By choosing materials that are safe and circular, designers can ensure that the products they create fit within the circular economy. For example, increasing the amount of recycled content in manufacturing products is essential for slowing down the demand for new materials in the entire global economy. Alright, so material choices play a fundamental role in designing for a circular economy. By choosing to shift the norm towards using sustainable materials, we can ensure that products are safer to both humans and the environment, and the materials used to make them can be reused without causing harm. There aren't necessarily specific materials that embrace circular economy, but they fall into these main categories. The first is to improve the productivity of newly acquired materials and products, meaning how long they can be successfully used. This would not only reduce the amount of waste generated, but would also design out the demand for massive extraction of raw materials to make new products due to a decreased demand. The second would be to recycle the materials that may not be useful in their current stage or form, but have the potential to be used again in some application. For example, at their end of life stage, Plastics are often burned, which may recover energy, but not the material itself. Fairphone, for example, uses melted-down old plastics of all different colors to create their phone cases. Not only is it durable as a regular phone would be, but it would also make material that is seemingly useless, converting it into a high-value product. In the circular economy, design follows three principles. Ensuring efficient usage of materials and energy utilizing maximum amounts of recycled and recyclable materials, and designing in such a way that products can be repaired, taken back, upgraded, or easily disassembled. In other words, that the product lasts for as long as possible. We will discuss what these strategies look like much further for both inorganic and organic items in upcoming episodes. I had the chance to speak to Vanessa Barboni-Halik, the CEO of the Sustainable Clothing Company, a little bit tomorrow. She discussed with me how her company embraces circularity, starting with designing the clothing using the right materials. Our starting point is that clothing is an asset and it needs to be treated that way. And so when we think about the life cycle of our product, which we really think about it from cradle to grave, we first and foremost think about the longevity of the product to ensure that it can stay in circulation for as long as possible. How do you ensure that the majority of those are in monomaterials that can potentially be recycled easily as feedstock for other products. So I think a lot of people forget that clothing is by and large either an agricultural product or it's made of plastic these days or, or even worse, some combination thereof. So I would say that, you know, from our standpoint, our values framework, which is very science based, incorporates animal, human, and environmental welfare. And that is really uh, what defines our rubric. So organic cotton, organic linen, with really the, our cornerstone sourcing policy being traceability back to the farm whenever possible. And the same thing is true uh, for all of the virgin wool that we use. We um, source it um, exclusively from currently two ethical and regenerative farms in Tasmania. 
And really fundamentally, that is about the fact that sustainability starts all the way back at the raw material level with the impact uh, on the earth from the way that from the way that the materials are actually harvested and and certainly what's put on the soil in advance of that. We also utilize an FSC certified cellulosic fiber from Sweden. We utilize Tencel and we utilize Cupro, which is which is made from cotton waste. Earlier in the episode, we discussed the negative environmental impacts of long supply chains. And of course, the situation is no different with fashion. Ms. Barboni Halik explained to me how she is working to reduce these impacts. The reality for fashion is that it's really sourced globally and it's quite difficult to have all of your materials come from a very localized source. And that's a function both, again, of agriculture as well as just degrees of specialization because supply chains have become so global. And so for us, we make predominantly custom materials and we work um, in factories and ateliers in Europe. And so we try and keep our supply chains there as short as, as absolutely possible and make sure that the components are not being flown all over the world if we can if we can avoid it. We did notice that our wool supply chain was actually one of the supply chains for us that had a, ca- a higher carbon footprint despite the fact that we were already sourcing from these ethical and regenerative farms. And so we took that through and this was something that we discovered through the detailed uh, carbon neutral certification process. We took that and we really focused on finding additional farms. And so this month, for example, we'll be announcing that we just brought on board a farm that actually net sequesters carbon. Um, so it sequesters more carbon than, than the sheep emit, which is comes from methane. And so we're, we're really excited about that and for the potential to scale in, in a way that actually net reduces the you know, emissions per dollar, you could say. We also have really chosen to focus in Europe on factories and mills that utilize a significant share of renewable energy. And that's true at many, many of our facilities, which is fantastic. But overall, you know, the entire supply chain needs to get better. One of the core challenges is really logistics. And so because our footprint is not zero, we do offset currently at 120%. We recognize that that is certainly far from perfect. Similarly to cell phones with clothing, Disassembly is one of the most difficult steps towards recycling a garment, and it's a step that Another Tomorrow is working to improve. We're also really excited about the circular business models like Authenticated Resale, which we just launched, and the ability to actually grow as a business while reducing the number of new products that one is producing, which certainly reduces emissions. And so integrating these circular business models as core components of the brand we think are really, is really important. it's becoming increasingly important to design in a circular context up front. So one of the things where I think that candidly, we have more opportunity for improvement is thinking about disassembly. So eventually at some point, you know, after an item maybe has been in somebody's closet for hopefully decades or resold, there will come a day when that item is no longer fit for resale. And what do you do then? You know, really at that juncture, unless it's a garment that's exceptionally simple, you're looking at some element of disassembly. I would say if you look at something the most complex, if you think about like a parka, how do you disassemble a parka to be recycled uh, into its component parts? It's not something that's traditionally part of the design process. So really designing into best-in-class materials, designing into mono materials as best possible, and also thinking about end-of-life for garments and design for disassembly is going to be increasingly important.
But a better alternative to recycling is reuse. Recently, Another Tomorrow launched their authenticated resale program, designing the whole process with sustainability and the customer's wishes in mind. One of the things that we decided to do from the outset was to integrate a digitalization into our into our process. And so every single product that we make has its own unique digital identity. And you might wonder why that's important in the context of sustainability, but it, we view that as being important kind of in a way that's that's manifold, starting with kind of the two most relevant. One is transparency. So you can scan the code um, on the care content label and see the entirety um, of the supply chain. But the second use case, which just launched very recently for us, is authenticated resale. We found that a real pain point in the resale market is authenticity. And that's something that concerns brands very much. And so now when you scan this care content label QR code, not only can you see the supply chain, but you can also activate that product for resale in an authenticated manner. And you can do so with total transparency as a seller into knowing uh, what that product is going to sell for, which is, has also been a friction point in resale. So I think that technology is not certainly a one size fits all solution, but it's a really important enabling architecture for circularity and for all kinds of future innovations that hopefully will help to support this concept of clothing as really being an asset. All right. Now let's come back to modular design. To get a good idea of what modular design is all about, you can look no further than Lego bricks. One Lego fits in with any other Lego. It wouldn't matter that one Lego is from one boxer set and the other brick is from another set. They're simply compatible with each other, no matter what. So modular design is an approach used to design various products by breaking the product down into separate or independent parts. These individual parts like a smartphone battery, can then be used for the same function in another product later on. This helps lower the maintenance costs and expands the product's life cycle and creates opportunities for the pieces to be returned to their producers to be reused. Modular designs are also easier to customize according to individual customers' needs or preferences. For example, if you are looking for a smartphone with a better battery life, you can easily replace the current battery with a high power battery component that is not necessarily made by the same company that your phone is made of, and you can put it right into your existing phone. This means that a product can be easily updated by just switching out a few parts rather than release a completely new model that would require much more emissions and resource extraction to produce. So, since a modular design uses reusable components that can be used in many similar products, it reduces potential waste and adds to the overall sustainability of a product. Modular design also enables companies to explore new uses for their modular products. This reduces the time, effort, and risk involved in coming up with new materials and designs, and creates opportunities for lowering the price of products, something which us, consumers, will be very happy to see, on top of a positive impact on the environment. So, modular design is really a win-win for both the environment and the consumer. It's a perfect example of the circular economy at work. circular economy aims to not only limit raw material extraction, but also takes into account energy sources. Transitioning to renewable energy tackles this issue 
because as the word renewable indicates, we will never run out of the resources needed to produce this type of energy. The other important point is that renewable sources do not emit carbon dioxide to generate energy. Even though in a circular economy we are already trying to decrease the demand for new goods, we cannot decrease the demand to zero. That wouldn't be good. So, for many industries, especially in the energy-intensive ones, like the chemicals industry, renewable energy is a must. Yet, the renewable energy also relies on those rare metals we discussed earlier, which is why it is important to design renewable energy technologies to reuse the materials sitting in landfills and other materials. Additionally, utilizing recycled components like aluminum, which is already widely recycled, is critical to aligning renewable energy generation with circular principles. But even as renewable energy sources like solar and wind are becoming increasingly popular and cost-effective, it's going to take a lot for the global economy to be truly powered by renewable sources. So, the circular economy must be powered on renewable energy, and making renewable energy technologies must be designed with the principles of the circular economy in mind. Another aspect of design that is central to the concept of the circular economy is a shift from ownership to access. Understanding that customers often only require access to a product for a short period of time, after which they can return it to the service provider or pass it on to a new user. This approach has the potential to revolutionize the global economy. Can you imagine a world where we can easily use things only when we need them? A host of new businesses constructed on this notion have emerged in recent years, offering all manner of products to their customers on a short-term basis through rental, subscription, sharing, or leasing, rather than selling them forever. And design plays a critical role in ensuring the durability of these approaches. We can already see it. Think about the cars, bikes, or scooters we can rent in seconds when we want to move around town. Streaming services give us access to all the music we want without having to buy records, and online bookstores that allow us to read any book without having to buy a copy. It's amazing how much energy and materials are saved by only these innovations and how much emissions and landfill space is avoided. By now, we've become keenly aware of the importance of product and systematic design, because as we discussed, about 80% of the total environmental impact of a product is determined in the design phase. But, unfortunately, most products are still not creative with the circular economy mindset. So, it is important to think about how we can maximize the usability of everyday items to ensure that they do not end up in the landfill. But what methods can we use? To get the answer to this, and many other pressing questions about keeping products in use, join me in the next episode where we'll be discussing just that. And that brings us to the end of the second episode of Circular Planet. I hope that you found it of interest and that you will join me in our next episodes. Thank you so much to Vanessa Barboni-Halik for our interview for this episode. And again, thanks for listening to the Circular Planet podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it on the platform you are listening on. And be sure to come back for our next episode. Until then, this is Alicia, and see you next time. Circular Planet was researched, written, edited, and produced by Alicia Mazurkiewicz. This podcast is brought to you by Bethesda Green, a fantastic organization accelerating sustainable businesses. I am an intern as part of their environmental leaders program, 
that offers high school students the opportunity to learn about sustainability and environmental stewardship. You may find the resources I used for this podcast on the Bethesda Green website at www.bethesdagreen.org. I hope that you enjoy the podcast. Thank you.